Hello pharmacists and student pharmacists. My name is David Bunch and welcome to Off Script, brought to you by your APHA ASP Policy Standing Committee. Off Script is intended to be an informative and interview-based podcast series that encourages our listeners to think outside of the prescription pad. Offscript gives us the chance to hear from the experts in the field to learn more about what we can do as pharmacists to continue advancing our profession. This episode's purpose is to bring awareness to student pharmacists across the country on progressive movements currently happening in the state of Idaho. Our guest today is Dr. Alex Adams, and he is the Executive Director of the Idaho State Board of Pharmacy. In this capacity, his primary role is to promote, preserve, and protect the health, safety, and welfare of the public by and through the effective control and regulation of the practice of pharmacy in the state of Idaho. Prior to this, he served as Vice President of Pharmacy Programs at the National Association of Chain Drug Stores, or NACDS, which is a Washington, D.C. area trade association that represents 40,000 pharmacies in the United States. Dr. Adams received his Bachelor of Science and Doctors of Pharmacy degrees from the University of Toledo, graduating as class valedictorian. He received his Master's of Public Health degree from Johns Hopkins University. Dr. Adams was honored with the Albert B. Prescott Pharmacy Leadership Award in 2015, and Dr. Adams has been Executive Director of the Board of Pharmacy since August of 2015. Now over to the interview. All right, so I'm here with Dr. Alex Adams from the Idaho State Board of Pharmacy. We're here at the Northwest Pharmacy Convention in the beautiful Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. How are you doing today? I'm doing outstanding. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course, of course. All right, so starting off, um, so I know the Idaho State Board of Pharmacy recently went through and made some changes and reduced the size of its rule book. Can you summarize for us what happened and what came out of that process? Yeah, David, um, you know, I, I think there's no argument that pharmacy is probably the most overregulated profession that's out there. And you look at so many of the pharmacy laws, and you, you have to scratch your head and ask why. Why, why, why. why was that on the books? We in Idaho had laws that were as granular as delineating what types of hinges had to be on the door to the pharmacy. And uh, what overregulation does is it really hamstrings professionals from acting professionally and best meeting the needs of their patients and best meeting the needs of their communities. And it sets up situations where sometimes what's legal isn't ethical and what's ethical isn't legal. And you really had to, we, we really tried to find a way to, to, to change that streak of overregulation and, and better regulate the profession so that pharmacists could practice to the top of their education and training, not the bottom of some arbitrary state laws. So what we did uh, as a board over the past 12 months is worked on clearing away quite a bit of that clutter. And in aggregate, we ended up cutting 55% of the total rules by word count and uh, 62% of the, the restrictions, restrictions being the use of certain terms and phrases like shall and must and may not prohibit or require, among others. And um, in so doing, we created a more permissive environment where pharmacists could do things like independently prescribe for certain drug categories, or pharmacists could engage in therapeutic substitution, changing you know, pro-air to ventilin in certain scenarios, or changing a, a capsule to, to liquids using their independent professional judgment, working with the patients to best meet their needs. It also uh, you know, expanded technician roles and created uh, flexibility uh, for facilities. Uh, we govern facilities now under a philosophy of permissionless innovation, we call it. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a concept out of the, the George Mason economics uh, program, but it's one that we really embraced and it allows 
facilities to innovate and experiment and try new things and move things off-site and embrace new technology and really trying to get the law out of the, the, the way of being a barrier to, to good patient care and allow it to facilitate good patient care by pharmacists using professional judgment. All right, thank you. Yeah, definitely. And I've also heard that um, Idaho is doing some things to enhance the scope of practice for pharmacy technicians. Can you explain to our listeners what's happening in that area? Yeah, so the uh, expanded role of technicians was a, a small subcomponent of that that broader mm-hmm. rewrite that I talked about. And, you know, we also expanded pharmacist roles. Pharmacists can independently prescribe all of that stuff. But for whatever it's worth, we've gotten quite a bit of attention on that small technician <laughs> subcomponent of this. And kind of the board's philosophy was pharmacists routinely show professional judgment in what tasks they delegate to interns. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a pharmacist delegates to a P1 is often different than what they delegate to a P4. And that's not because it's a matter of law, it's that pharmacists generally know what their support staff is capable of and what their level of education and training is and what they can comfortably take on. And we asked, well, why couldn't that same professional judgment apply to technicians? And, you know, if technicians come in all shapes and sizes, I've worked with some incredible technicians who made my, my life a lot easier, my practice quite a bit easier. And why couldn't I use my judgment to delegate to those technicians different activities than a technician who's who's a trainee who might be piloting this job for the first time so our laws now allow a pharmacist to use his or her discretion to delegate any task to a technician as long as it's commensurate with that technician's education and training so most famously or perhaps infamously depending on how you look (laughs) at this uh, that would allow uh, technicians to administer vaccines so a pharmacist is still doing all of the clinical components a pharmacist is screening the patient, identifying if the patient is a good candidate for a vaccine. And if the pharmacist prescribes that vaccine to that patient, the pharmacist could then use his or her discretion to delegate the technical task of sticking the needle in the patient's arm. And uh, what we found is by empowering technicians, um, it helps attract and retain better talent at that technician level. It helps uh, technicians feel more valued in their role. And uh, we've seen some of the techs who are immunizers have, you know, spring in their step. They feel much more motivated. They feel much more uh, intimately connected to the to, to the, the the pharmacy team. And uh, we've seen in some instances is that it's actually increased overall vaccine rates. So, mm. um, but um, long story short, rather than micromanaging in law what tasks can and can't be delegated to techs, we put the locus of control on the pharmacist using his or her professional judgment to determine what their support staff is capable of. It's a concept that has already been proven successful with interns. It's a concept that's been proven successful with how physicians delegate to MAs and MTs. And anytime we can replicate the success of other professions, I think there's merits to, to considering it. That's really interesting. Enjoyed hearing about that, and um, I'm really glad I got to hear more in depth. Because being in Washington, right next to you guys, kind of hear 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 the rumors of what's going on, and um, so it's it's really good to hear more in depth. And thank you for that. Um, some pharmacists across the country um, kind of say that they're a little worried about re- maybe receiving a decrease in hours due to the increased scope of practice for these technicians. So, how would you address these concerns for these? Yeah, we heard quite a bit of those concerns as as you go through this rulemaking process and. We're a board that believes in evidence. I've got a poster on my wall that says, what do we want evidence-based change? When do we want it after peer review? And, you know, one, um, from a board's perspective, we're primarily concerned about safety. Mm -hmm. If a pharmacist delegates these these tasks to technicians, can it be safe? 
and the studies are pretty unequivocal that technicians can perform activities such as accepting verbal scripts, transferring scripts, performing final verification, and administering vaccines. They can perform those safely and effectively. You know, how does that impact pharmacists? Well, you know, if you look at workload surveys of pharmacists, most pharmacists feel like they're, they're overworked and uh, overwhelmed. And uh, perhaps better leveraging technician workforce uh, will allow them to um, uh, you know, better, better manage that, that, that workload and, and better, better, better receive some support. And you know, the thing I can't emphasize enough, though, is that we did this simultaneously with broadening pharmacist roles mm -hmm. to coincide with the pharmacist education and training. So how do, how do pharmacists want to practice? How do, how do the, the, the pharmacy students that might be listening to this want to practice? Do you want to practice where 44% of your workday, which is what the stats show, are spent doing activities like transfers and accepting verbal scripts and responding to faxes and kind of clerical administrative duties? Or do you want to be doing the types of things that Idaho allows where uh, if a patient with flu-like illness comes into an Idaho pharmacy, a pharmacist can assess that patient and independently prescribe the right antiviral for that patient if it is determined they have flu. Pharmacists in Idaho can prescribe for uncomplicated urinary tract infections, lice, cold sores, strep throat, motion sickness prevention. Uh, we're one of the states that allows pharmacists to independently prescribe mm -hmm. a statin for patients who have been previously diagnosed with diabetes. My guess is most pharmacists went into the profession to best help patients and to, to, to perform those types of activities and you know, time is, is limited. Every minute that you're spent tethered to the fax machine is a minute you're not counseling patients or working with patients. So I see this you know, working together to free up pharmacists to do the types of things pharmacists want to do. Yeah, and I know a lot of our listeners will be excited about expanding the scope of pharmacists, um, pharmacist roles. So what has been your motivation to pursue these things? What personally has been your driving, your driving force in making these changes? Well, so the Board of Pharmacy, why do Boards of Pharmacy exist? Boards of Pharmacy don't exist to represent the profession. They represent uh, the public in mm -hmm. ensuring that things are in the public interest and, uh, and, and public safety. If you look at the totality of evidence that's been published on expanded pharmacist roles, expanded technician roles, use of technology in the workplace, things like that, uh, there's a pretty clear case that those things can improve patient care, patient safety, and improve overall public health. So I think our board has been motivated by, by our mission of regulating the profession to the extent it's in the best interest of public health. Mm -hmm. So what's next in your plans? <laughs> well, when you do a comprehensive rewrite uh, the, the way we did, where you cut uh, quite a bit of law, the goal is to create a permissive structure where pharmacists can practice to the top of their education and training. So certainly our goal, and I hope we, we accomplished it uh, with this rewrite, is that as new technology comes out, as pharmacists expand their educational opportunities, they don't have to keep coming back to the board and the board doesn't have to keep revising its rules. The goal is to have created a permissive environment where, where, where these things will naturally occur. Uh, we do have a couple policy things we're gonna take on this year. Uh, probably, probably the most interesting to the listeners um, is uh, we're going to take a pretty close look at multi-state licensure. Okay. You know, um, people are more mobile uh, than ever before. Mm -hmm. uh, technology has allowed telepharmacy across state lines and MTM across uh, state lines and requiring folks to have a state-specific license in each state for which they have the audacity to either counsel a patient or step behind a pharmacy counter probably doesn't make sense in the 21st century anymore. 
and uh, the nursing compact uh, where there's 29 states that have joined where if a nurse is licensed in one of those states they can physically practice in any of those 29 or they can do telenursing telehealth services into any of those 29 is a pretty in, uh, intriguing model and uh, Idaho is going to look at what role we can play in perhaps sparking some more of, of that discussion this year. Awesome. Um, are there any other states that you've seen that are starting to follow suit um, or do other boards of pharmacies seem to be open to what you have been doing? Um, I've certainly seen uh, a lot of progress. Um, we've, we've been talking about this. Uh, we, I mean, we did the rewrite in 2017 mm -hmm. with it taking effect in 2018, but we've been talking philosophically about this since 2015, 2016. And we've certainly found um, states are warming up to it. And probably the clearest indication of that, uh, the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy had their annual meeting in May. Mm -hmm. And one of the resolutions that was passed unanimously, as I recall, uh, was the establishment of a task force uh, to help identify ways for states to transition from prescriptive micromanaged rules to a standard of care approach like Idaho did. So that's probably the strongest validation that others are, are starting to think this way. Uh, we've heard from se several states uh, uh, you know, asking us, how, how can we do that mm -hmm. in our state? But it's often tempered with, we'd love to do that in our state, but it's different. You know, our state's different than Idaho. And, mm -hmm. and I hate to say it's not. It's not different. What's different is the motivation. And our pharmacists pushing for this, our techs pushing for this, is there uh, Public, uh, public health organizations pushing for this. So I can comfortably say that what we did can and would work in any state today. People have to get over the mental barrier of thinking that they have some unique situation that uh, that's just, it's, it's a lazy excuse. Right, thank you. I think this information is gonna be great for all of our students to listen to. Um, so finally, what would your advice be to student pharmacists or even new practitioners who wanna get more involved in advocacy or are interested in seeing these kind of things happen in their own state? Um, you know, I think the best advice any student could get is get involved, mm -hmm. get active. I mean, as Woody Allen says, decisions are made by those who show up, and it might be surprising to you how few people actually show up uh, to your state boards of pharmacy mm -hmm. meeting. And uh, if, if, as they say, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what a great opportunity for students to, to show up and engage. And, um, you know, our board, I don't think, is unique in that we like to make evidence-based decisions. I think every board would you know, prefer to make evidence-based decisions. And what a tremendous opportunity for students to leverage the assets that they have available to them, like school library resources, to identify peer-reviewed publications and, and uh, you know, works in progress and things like that to help their boards of pharmacy make better evidence-based decisions around the things that are important to you whether it's expanding tech roles, whether it's expanding pharmacist roles, whether it's expanding the ability to, to, to leverage technology in your practice settings, students you know, perhaps have better access to peer-reviewed research than any board, board in the country. So what, what a great opportunity for you to really uh, make a difference by just engaging with, with your boards. Well, I thank you so much. And uh, on behalf of the Policy Standing Committee for the uh, American American Pharmacists Association Academy of Student Pharmacists. So thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. I would like to take a moment to again thank Dr. Adams for offering up his time for our interview. We on the Policy Standing Committee look forward to providing you with additional expert interviews on the topics that are important to you. Stay tuned for future episodes as we strive to dive deeper into resolutions we pass at annual meeting. Until next time, 
Remember to take a few moments out of your day to think outside the prescription pad.